Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Just uh, take about five or so minutes here to do a little recap of where we've been so far in this series, according to the Spirit. And so, really, our, our home base verse for this Spirit or for this series comes out of Romans eight. And so, we see in Romans eight um, that it says, "For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit." And so, we acknowledge that there's this there's this war kind of going on inside of us that no. Christian's going to be just perfectly always walking in step with the Spirit. Like we, we are constantly at odds with this other force that's in us, the flesh. And man, we're seeking to satisfy that. And we're seeking to gratify those desires sometimes. And so our call is really set our minds to orient ourselves according to the Spirit. And, and how, how might we build out kind of a life that then reflects us setting our mind, following wholeheartedly after the Spirit? And, and as soon as you kind of say that, that we want to be people who are about the Spirit of God and for the Spirit of God and filled with the Spirit of God, living out our life according with the Spirit of God, our minds can go all sorts of different places. We can go to all sorts of wacky, different charismatic situations. We can think of spiritual gifts. We can think of miraculous demonstrations of God's power. And we can think of kind of the sanctifying work that the Holy Spirit does in, it, does in us. And that's all there. Like that's all true and that's all good. Um, but what we're primarily wanting to do through this series is what, what Jai Packer says, the Holy Spirit's primary role, his primary ministry is going to be mediating the presence of God to us, meeting us, mediating us into the presence of God. Because he's not some force, he's not a ghost, he is God. He is, he is part of the triune nature of our God. And so as we do life according to the Spirit, it's this life of withness with God. And so what I want to, what I want to set up today is how, how might we build out practices in our life? And if I could kind of reduce my sermon down into a sentence, it would be um, falling in love with the practice of falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with that practice of falling in love with him. And so, like, what we're doing right now is we're all fasting. Or, or most of us are fasting. If you haven't been joining us for the fast, that's no worries. But, man, we're, we're two weeks into a three-week fast. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord that we got two weeks in the rear view and one week ahead of us. Like, come on, but the Spirit's been doing some things in me. And I, I can't wait to hear maybe some of the testimonies of what God has done in this time. But I just have this—I'm I'm more hungry than I was before. And I'm not just talking physically, although that is true, too. But I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm looking for God more often throughout my day. I'm, I'm eager to just see what he might do, what he might break, as we're singing that song, Breakthrough. And, and I'm going through just like all the prayer requests that I've just been laying before God during this time of the fast. And I'm going, God, would you just break through? Would you just like, like Caden was saying, would you just like supernaturally invade this and where I'm just looking and where my friends are looking and family members and people I love are looking and seeing this wall, God, would you just, would you just break through it? you just knock it down? And so like, remember that as we fast, and if you want to join us, I'll just say it's not too late. We still have a week left. You could go back and watch the fasting message from uh, a couple weeks back on YouTube. Uh, but, but really what we're not, we're not doing right now is just trying to prove to ourselves how hungry we can be. That's a good reminder for right now. We're not just trying to muscle our way through it, but we're seeing what God might fill us with. We're seeing what kind of spiritual appetite he might create in us while we fast. And, and 
what we talked about last week, Kent, I think, just did an awesome job unpacking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And man, as much baggage as maybe can come with that phrase, I thought he just laid it out so clear for us. And I pulled away kind of three main points that I took is that it's not this just one-time deal. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as much as we label it as this event, the baptism, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? He laid out in scripture clearly that, man, that is a present ongoing thing that no Christian's ever done with. The Holy Spirit wants to fill us up, and I love this, that it can get in us and, and rearrange things and heal things and order things rightly in our hearts, but it doesn't just terminate there either. It's so that it might flow out of us, and a byproduct of that filling is going to be the outward demonstration of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And so that's this baptism, it's not this one-time thing, it's this present, continual need that we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The other thing is that it's not just this one-time kind of robotic or reproducible event. It's not going to look the same for everyone. It's not going to just produce these exact same, this one thing. We talked about the, the gift of tongues, a gift of tongues. There's many kinds of gifts of tongues, right? And uh, you, I didn't even get one email. I just feel like, like, I was kind of like ready, like, like, you know, kind of like, who was that? And nobody even emailed me. So praise God for that, PK. Like no one even responded to that. Um, and I feel like y'all just missed an opportunity there. <laughs> so it's gone. It's, by the way, that's gone. And one week, you have like a one week statute of limitations to send in an email, by the way. So that is up officially now. Um, no, but it's not this one-time reproducible thing for everyone. It's going to look different for different people. It's going to manifest in different ways. But ultimately, the, the main takeaway that I have from last week is that, like, it's this thing that we should desire. And the question he really left us lingering was, like, are you open to it? Because the Holy Spirit is a good gift. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a good thing. It's not, it's not primarily to make us weird or to wacky, like wacky people. It is a good gift of God's presence given to us so that we might be the people that God has called us to be. And so hopefully we're, hopefully we're just dialed in right now. And I just think it's a beautiful time to be thinking about, okay, God, am I open to the things that you want to do? As I starve appetites of this world, am I hungry for what you might do in my heart and in the lives of the people around me? And that's what we're looking at. And so today, like I want to, I want to not, not necessarily pivot, but I want to kind of roll us up to what I think this is all going to lead us to. And that is the practice of falling in love with Jesus. Like falling in love with that practice or the routines or the rhythms of life that stir up our affections for him. And so what I want to do is go back to a verse that Kent used last week uh, for John chapter three. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab them. Uh, we're going to start in verse one. And we're going to look at the story of a guy named Nicodemus. So just let me kind of frame up who he is real quick. Nicodemus is, he's not just a, a regular teacher. Like he's a Pharisee, which means he's just like keeping the law like crazy. More righteous than any person in this room, for sure. If we were just to look at his moral obedience alone, he'd be far excelling every single one of you. Like he's just, he's doing it, but he's not just, he's not just adhering to the law. He's also teaching the law. He's going to be like this prominent, well-known teacher of the law to the people around him. And so as we jump into the story, I want to, I want you to kind of look at, there's a few questions that, that Nicodemus has that reveals some, some issues that are going on in his heart that I think we all have today. See, because all too often we're really hard on the Pharisees. Which granted, like Jesus was hard on the Pharisees. So I think we kind of have some merit to stand on there that Jesus was hard on them, so we can be hard on them. But I think, I think way too frequently, Christians read themselves as the other person in the story. 
when really we align more with the Pharisee. And so I want to read this story with maybe an empathetic lens today that we kind of see some of our own tendencies in Nicodemus. So let's read this together, starting in verse 1. If you have your Bible, go and open it up. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. But I think a, a Bible or a Bible app to make some notes would be good. Starting in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. It's not really a question, but it's kind of one of those questions like I do in my sermon where I finish a sentence and then I say, right? Right. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's kind of going, okay, like, hey, we're both teachers, so I can kind of level with you on that lens. But like, I'm also just paying attention and there's a lot of crazy stuff happening that's following you. So clearly you're from the Lord, right? And Jesus answers him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You've asked some stupid questions in your life. Not as dumb as that question though. <laughs> Jesus answered, okay, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. This is what we looked at last week. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? I want you to hear, just, he's getting desperate at this point. He's confused, he's probably frustrated, and he's, at, he's pleading with Jesus, how can this be? You got to keep in mind, Nicodemus is the kind of person whose whole life has been committed to rigidly following the rules that God has laid out for them, for the, for the Jewish people, so that he can find himself kind of working his way back into the kingdom of God, back into the covenant relationship. So this is where we like, we knock on the Pharisees all the time, but they're pretty pure in sense that they're just going, okay, God made this promise back in the Old Testament that if we follow these rules, he'll be with us. And so clearly we've broken some rules and the Pharisees are trying their best to adhere to all these rules. And they're not just taking the rules that, that the priests, like they're taking rules that apply to the priests and the people who step into the holiest of places. And they're trying to apply those to everybody. They're going, we just have to get back to this purity. We have to start following God the way that he called us to follow God and he will be with his people. And so he's desperate. And he said, how can this be? Because right now what Nicodemus is confronted with is he's outside of the kingdom of God. He, his whole life has been bent on this like rigid rule following. And Jesus is saying, you're missing it. You're out. You're not in. Like there's something to be had that you haven't experienced yet. And the crushing blow this must have been to him. How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? That's one of those kind of like savage Jesus moments, right? Where he's like, come, come on, bro. You've read the book. You should know what's going on. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. Nicodemus' whole life was built around this moral ascension to get closer to God. 
And Jesus is saying in this moment, it's not, you're never going to get there. The only one who's ever going to get there is me. And it's not about me being way up there. It's about me coming down. It's about me coming to be with you. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. Speaking of the cross, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Falling in love with the practice of falling in love with Jesus. I, I was uh, 18 years old and I, had, I just graduated from high school a couple months ago. And I had a couple offers to go play basketball at smaller schools out of state. I was probably like right in between, honestly, the level of like a school going like, hey, we would really like for you to come play for us. So here's a full ride scholarship. And in and, and between the people who are like, hey, you can come play, but we're not helping you out financially at all. So I'm somewhere in the middle of those two things. I had done some tryouts, done some showcase things and, and found myself really considering, okay, what I was done with high school, not sure where I was going to go in the fall. So, so just like a little breath of fresh air for all of you seniors in the air, like it, it, it's, oh, oh, seniors in the room. It's okay if you don't know exactly what's going to be happening next year. Um, and so I uh, found myself really considering what is it that I want to do and decided that, you know what, out of state's not for me. The tuition was way too expensive. I, I was not good enough, like I said, to get an actual legitimate scholarship. I just had chances where I could try and go make a team. And so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go to the best university that Colorado has to offer, Colorado State University in Fort Collins, Colorado. Go Rams. Come on. And... Uh, Thank you. Yeah, it was a great decision and uh, decided I wanted to be closer to family, closer to my girlfriend at the time, who was Katie, and it all panned out perfectly. I, I stepped on campus in the fall uh, with two things really in mind. I was going to be just like my high school basketball coach, meaning that I was going to get my certificate of teaching and get a degree in mathematics, and I was going to walk on, I was going to take an appointment with head coach, then head coach, Tim Miles, and I was going to walk on to Colorado's D1 basketball team, Colorado State's D1 basketball team. I did one meeting with the academic counselor about a mathematics degree and quickly decided that isn't going to happen. <laughs> that ain't for me. And so I, I immediately then re-enrolled myself into health and exercise science uh, because I thought PE was way more up my alley. You know what I'm saying? And so went that route, never took the appointment with Tim Miles, never went and met with him. Uh, I immediately like found after playing with some guys who played for Colorado State University that... Uh, man, I, I might think I'm athletic enough. I might think I have some skills to do this. I might think I'm coachable enough, have the work ethic, but I'll tell you what, I found out quickly, I just don't love to practice. <laughs> I don't love to practice. Like I, I did not love the process of getting better. I just like to play. Do you know what I mean? And, and you listen to God, like Peyton Manning would say, um, I, I think it's his quote where he says, the day I quit loving practice is the day that I retire. Because the day that I, that I stop falling in love with the process of getting better, better that's what's going to distinguish like great athletes from just regular athletes. The people who are obsessed. I mean, you think about the Kobe Bryant level of intensity of like showing at the gym before everybody else, finishing far after everyone's done, waiting, like getting someone to come open up the gym at 3 a.m. And like I was talking to some of these guys at CSU and they're up at 6 a.m. for shoot around. Then they have classes. Then they had film study. Then they had homework in the afternoon. Then it was weight room followed by a full practice run through. And I was just like, that ain't me. That ain't me. Like, I just want to show up and play with some of my friends. Like, that, that's all I want to do. And, and so I think that what can happen in Christianity is we can get so, like, focused on playing the game or doing the Christian things that we neglect that most of what this is is just falling in love with the practice. 
falling in love with the things that Jesus would have us do to cultivate a heart that longs to be with him. And so that's what we're talking about today. And, and through Nicodemus's story here, I really think Nicodemus is confronted with a few problems as he begins to interact with our Savior. So Nicodemus comes to him by night, which is significant. He's clearly coming under the cover of night. And he comes to him and he says, hey, you're doing all this stuff. You're clearly from God. What does this mean? And Jesus answers him and he says, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. That's what happens in that first moment is that Nicodemus is being confronted with the reality that he's not controlling his eternal destiny like he thought. He thought it was all up to him. He thought it was up to his behavior. He thought as long as he followed the law, as long as he did all the things that he was supposed to do, then he'd be in the kingdom. Then he'd be good. And Jesus says in this moment, he's like, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. So uh, Nicodemus then has some anatomical questions for him. He's like, okay, born again. Uh, he goes just so literal, right? He's like, does that mean I got to work my way back up and so I can work my way back out? And Jesus is like, like just the patience of our savior in this moment to not just be like, you idiot. Okay, hold on. <laughs> but I think really it's, it's Nicodemus's desperation that we hear where he's like, I'll do anything. What does it take? I want to be in this relationship. I want to be in this kingdom that you're speaking of. And, and you're saying I'm outside of it. And so Jesus says to him, that you have to be reborn. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so that little phrase there, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. If I could kind of put that in maybe more modern terms, it'd be you can change anything you want about you, but the problem is going to be that wherever you are, there you are. Like, like, so you can, you can change some behaviors that you think will help. You can change some friends that you think will help. You can change some other things externally. But as long as you're focused on this external behavior changing, what you have to realize is that, man, wherever you are, there you're going to be. And unless we get at changing some of these heart level problems, unless we actually take this like heart of stone and have that replaced by the spirit of God with this heart of flesh, like an actually living, breathing, spirit-filled heart, there, like you're just going to still be the same person. You're just going to be a little bit healthier. You're, you're maybe going to earn a little bit more money. You're going to have some different friends, but you're still going to have the same heart level issues that you've always struggled with. You're still going to be turning to the same things for approval. You're still going to be turning to the same things for, I mean, just go down the list. Wherever you are, there you are. And that's why Jesus is saying, no, no, this is, this is deeper than just the way that you're behaving, Nicodemus. Like you have to change who you actually are. And the third thing that Nicodemus has to concede to eventually is that like, okay, how do I, how do I get there? And it's through submission, not through moral achievement. So he has to just concede that, that like, okay, God, you're God. I'm not, I'm going to follow after you. I'm going to trust in you. And as we trust in our Savior's resurrection, as we trust in his crucifixion, the atoning sacrifice that was paid for us on the cross, in that moment of faith, that's when we are reborn. As the Son of Man is lifted up, whoever would believe in him. And this is where, this all leads into John 3.16, which praise God, there's a John 3.16. For whosoever would believe in him is not going to suffer, but is going to experience this everlasting life. And so, Nicodemus's road to the kingdom is not found through his own just rigid morality or his ability to keep all these rules perfectly. 
but it's in, it's in laying his life down, denying himself, taking up his cross and following Jesus. And that's the same thing that's true for all of us. But there's a couple things that um, I think I want to pull out of this even just a little further as far as that whatever gives birth to the flesh is flesh and whatever gives birth to the spirit is spirit. Because as we go here, what I want to look at over the next several weeks as a church are just different rhythms and practices that God has given us so that we might stir up our affections for him and we might continue to like put to death these these, things. things that are building us up into what culture would make us or the stories that we're hearing are leading us to believe. And so this is kind of like this two-way dance over the next several weeks where we're going to be looking at like, man, gosh, the world is just so busy. Everyone, like, how are you doing today? Oh, you know, yeah, busy, but it's good, right? And so how do we, how do we eliminate hurry in a way that detaches us from the world, detaches us from the flesh so that we might be built up in the spirit? How do we practice generosity and cultivate margin in our life? Not get swept up at the cultural mantra of just more, 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 but how do we actually build a routine into our life financially so that we can say, no, God's called me to care for the least of these. And so if I'm not living with any margin, how can I do this in a way that says, I'm not going to think about money the way the world thinks about money. I want to I be led by the spirit of God to handle my resources in a way. How do we build out just time in our, in our morning routines and our habits and the information that we're listening to? How do I, how do I carve that all out so that I'm, I'm being stirred up to fall more in love with Jesus? But there's a cycle that you have to be aware of. Because remember, this, this goes back to Romans 8, that we're battling the flesh and the spirit within us. For now, those two are waging war in us. And I just want to show you, I think, what will happen as we embark on looking at these new practices, how you can identify if I'm listening more to my flesh or if I'm actually being led by the Spirit. So there's this cycle that I think we can get ourselves into, where, where especially as Christians, we want, to, we want to pull out a behavior. Think about reading your Bible. I'm going to, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. I'm going to wake up at four o'clock and I'm going to pray for my family. I'm going to pray for revival in my city. Um, You think about, I'm just, I'm not going to cuss anymore. I'm not going to slip back into that pattern of behavior that I've been doing. And and what inevitably happens, the next one to the right, is we fail because we're human. Amen. And so we have this thing that we're going to embark on. And then, and and man, you pray at 4 a.m. You are up. Man, you haven't even had your coffee yet. You're just, you're just contending with the Spirit of God, bombarding heaven, asking for the Lord to show up in your life. And you do that on Monday, and on Tuesday you wake up again, and on Wednesday you hit the snooze button just one time. And on Thursday you miss it all together, and you have drifted now into failing what you set out to do. That, when you're being driven by your flesh, it's going to be this process of self-righteousness. So, so notice that uh, Nicodemus is operating in his flesh. See, I don't think we like to think of it this way. We like to think of the flesh as like these, maybe like three or four categorical, like really carnal, shameful, sinful acts. But we don't think of him being driven by in his flesh to be doing things that are leading to his own self-righteousness. And so you can be walking in this way that's trying to uh, just follow everything in your own volition, not being led by the Spirit, trying to do these things so that you look a certain way, either to certain people or so that you can convince yourself that your identity is a certain way. And you're trying to line yourself up. But if you're operating in your flesh, that failure is always going to drive you to shame. To shame. Where you start going, I'm the worst. You start making all these accusations or these, these, these uh, statements against your identity. You start going, oh, of course, I w- of course I'm going to do that again. Like, I, I, I can never fix this. This, is my, my fam- this problem goes back in my family for generations. 
right? And then eventually you'll, you'll work your way out. Maybe you have some good friends. Maybe you have a therapist. Maybe you have just like enough time goes by and you work yourself out of shame and you convince yourself, I'm going to change. And that leads you to pick a new behavior and the cycle starts over again. As long as you're continually being driven by your flesh, this is what the cycle is going to look like. But praise God, there's an alternative for those of us who have been reborn into who Christ has created us to be and given us a new heart. There's another cycle where we can center around the spirit of God operating primarily not out of a behavior we need to change, but operating in this abiding love where we continually come back to this position of going, God loves me. The Spirit of God is showing me that He loves me. He's showing me that He loves me in His Word. He's showing me that He loves me in teaching, in, commu- in Christian community. I'm, I know that He loves me. And now notice the right-hand side there. It's still the same. We're still prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We are going to fail. We're going to drift. We're going to mess up. But instead of shame, God's going to bring us conviction, which initially starts out similar. Hey, you messed up. You did that wrong. But conviction goes, okay, now, hey, because I love you, it's time to come back. We're going to change things differently. And that, that, that third one there coming around on the left, practice. You can insert disciplines. You can insert spiritual rhythms there. For, for the sake of this series, I want to call them practices. And what we get the invitation to do by the Holy Spirit through conviction is to go, okay, what kind of practices can I recultivate in my life to remind me of God's love for me? And, and you can see how that cycle is going to just continually like go up like a road going around a mountain. And and yeah, we're going to have moments where we have setbacks. I'm I'm not failing to acknowledge that at all. We are transformed. We looked at that verse. We're transformed one degree of glory by another. Like this process takes time, but as long as we're operating according to the spirit, we're going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to be reminded of God's love, be convicted of the things that are off, develop new practices, continue to be refined so that we might grow and mature into the people that God has called us to be. Amen. And so I just want to lay this before you before we go off and start looking at all these different spiritual rhythms or spiritual practices, that this, this is going to be the temptation for some of you to let your flesh go up and bring you down into shame. And then you're going to go, okay, wait, no, he just talked about a new practice this week. And so let's go back around. And if you keep operating from that level where you're letting the flesh drive, it's never going to lead you anywhere. But praise God, like there's an opportunity that we can go, okay, is this shame, is this driving me away from my identity and who Christ has created me to be? Or am I instead in this moment of feeling guilty? Because they both start with guilt is this moment of guilt going to remind me of my identity in Christ? And is that identity in Christ then going to compel me to continue to change who I am? And so uh, I'm reading a book uh, by James Clear called Atomic Habits. Anybody in the room reading Atomic Habits? One up there. Was there any other hands? I couldn't see. Yeah, my man, Lee. Um, So I kind of stole this from him uh, and I'm putting a Christian spin on it. He's not a believer, but it's a really interesting book about forming habits in your life. Um, Judy, go to the one with the circles. Yeah. So, so he has this graphic here that, that really what a lot of people try and do with habit making is they try and start with that outside circle of behavior. They identify a behavior in their life that they want to change. And, and then what they do is they try and drill down and create a different routine and create a different practice, right? So, so maybe your behavior, I think he labels it differently in his book, but a behavior is like, I want to lose 10 pounds. And so you develop some practices in your life. It's like, I'm going to eat differently. I'm going to maybe go to the gym a few extra times. And that is going to uh, 
what that's going to do is it's going to bring them to, as they work through the outside of the circles in, that's going to remake their identity. And he said, like, that's the worst way to go about trying to form a new habit. The way that you have to go about forming a new habit is you have to start with your identity. So you have to say to yourself, no, like, would a healthy person do this? Would a healthy person eat this way? And then as you start to question the identity and assume to be like a healthy person yourself and, and kind of make that restatement of a new identity, then I develop practices out. And I fall in love with those practices and those practices are going to deliver to me a new kind of behavior. All right? So that, that's his way of looking at it. Here's a more redemptive lens of looking at it. I think the world and even Christians in and of themselves are consistently trying to drive from the outside of those circles to the inside. And so we're, we're trying to say, okay, there's these certain behaviors I have in my life, like these things that I don't like that I'm doing. So I'm going to build out, I'm going to get some accountability partners. I'm going to develop some new routines and rhythms, start going to church. Like how often do I hear like, you know, parents who are not walking with the Lord at all, who are like, well, I just really want to bring my kids to church because I really want to get a certain behavior out of them. And, and what they do is they go, my kids are disobedient. So we're going to go to church and that's going to make them love the Lord. And I just am like, no, you, you love the Lord. You fall in love with the Lord. And then that might cultivate certain practices in your household. And that might, just might, by the spirit of God intervening, create your kids like a lifestyle, a, a spiritual climate in your house where your kids might follow the Lord. So, so it's the same principle. We can't, we can't drive at this from the outside in. You, you cannot, all, this is what Nicodemus is battling. An outside behavior cannot change. No matter how many things you change about yourself and how many disciplines and routines you set up in your life, that's not going to shape your identity. But by the spirit of God, by this rebirth that comes, the moment that you profess your faith to him and the moment you lay your life down and follow him, you have a new identity. Like you have this moment where the king of kings calls me his own. That's probably why I was so stirred up while we were singing that song during worship, where I'm like, yeah, the king of kings has called me his own. I'm a child of God. You're a child of God. You are a loved son, a loved daughter of his. That is your identity. And now from that identity, this is, this is critical that you get this going forward. If you miss this, then you're going to continually battle this, that cycle we talked about. But if you can understand this, that you are a child of God whom he loves, from that love, I know I'm going to build out practices to steward that love well in my life. And that is going to generate something on the outside of me, namely the fruit of the spirit. But if you do this for God's love, it'll kill you. It'll kill you. Like if you take a look at the next like several weeks and every single one of these practices, if you're convinced that I can do these things so that God will love me more, then you're missing it. You're outside of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God starts with this, this radical statement of sonship, of daughterhood, that you belong to him. And from there, we get to build out these different things in our lives. And so like here, here then, that's the critical point. Like you have to hear that sentence before we go anywhere else. But what I think Christians are all too often guilty of is they have this moment of salvation, right? They have this moment where they encounter the Lord and their identity does change. And then they want to jump right to behavior. And they want to just say, okay, I'm a Christian. Why am I not behaving this way? I gave my life to Jesus. Why hasn't this thing changed in my life? Right? How many people have just, you hear it. They've like, oh, I tried Christianity for a while, but it didn't do anything for me. In other words, like I tried being a Christian, but it didn't generate the behavior that I was wanting to. It's because what we have to do is we have to fall in love with that middle ring because it's where we're going to be for the rest of our life is this like just cultivating a life that reflects my inward identity in who Jesus has created me to be. 
And so I want to look at just a couple other passages because you can throw up that other slide, Judy, that says um, somewhere between legalism and laziness is the line that we're going to try and walk on, which is called spiritual practice. Spiritual practice. So, so the tendency for Nicodemus was, was to fall into legalism, to do all these things that, that he's adding to what Jesus has already graciously given to him. Jesus has already graciously extended to you his love. And if you try and add to that, try and add to his love for you, you are now operating outside of grace, is what Paul would say in Galatians, and you're now trying to earn your love, which is not the way it works. You don't earn your way up. He is heaven come down. And so we can't fall on the side of legalism, but we also can't be lazy. We can't be lazy. We can't just think, okay, I gave my life to Jesus. Uh, now just waiting for all the spiritual blessings. Where are they at? What's happening? What am I changing? God, work on this heart issue. Just take it. Take it away from me, Lord. Take it. And, and we neglect all the passages in the New Testament, all the words out of Jesus's own mouth that we are called to practice these things. So I want to show you just a couple of them. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, Paul's writing to encourage young Timothy. He, he's confronting these false teachers and it's going to take courage. It's going to take boldness. And he says to him, Timothy, right after he says, don't let people look down on you because you're young. He says, don't neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. What's that next word? Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Practice them. Do them over and over until they become routine. What is this thing like practice is just doing something until I can't figure out how to not do it. I'm just going to keep on doing these things. I'm going to immerse myself in these things that Paul's given me. In his letter to the Philippians, he writes this in verse 8 of chapter 4. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, anything that is excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Set your mind according to these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I love that. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. He's like, hey, if we had coffee together sometime and I told you this thing, if you heard me say in a sermon one time, if you saw the way I was acting with that person one time, like write it all down and do that kind of stuff. Like if you've seen me, heard me, watched me do a certain thing, that's what you need to be practicing. That's what you need to be doing. And so like over the next several weeks, we're going to look, about, we're going to look at how to do practices like quiet time, how to practice silence and solitude, how to practice studying the scripture, how to practice rest. Gosh, we are so bad at resting to, to the point where I think like sometimes we will like, we will bury ourselves in learning about Jesus just to neglect resting in Jesus, which is bizarre. Like we'll take so much time to just try fill our head up with more and more knowledge of him and what he's done for us that we'll neglect to just like rest in the fact that he is who he says he is and he's going to do what he said he's do, what he, he'll do. Uh, eliminating hurry, making peace, proclaiming uh, and, and contending for the kingdom, ordering our homes and families so that our, our whole family might thrive walking according to the spirit, cultivating generosity and, and margin with our resources. All of these are different practices and we'll talk through them in the next several weeks to come. But what we have to understand is that like we, we were not given this free gift of grace so that we can just sit on it. Like God has demonstrated his love for us and what that should compel us to do, what that should incite in us is going, okay, God, I want to follow completely after you. 
Because the truth is in your life, you're following after several things. We are being formed in several ways. I think of Paul's words in Romans, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What he's acknowledging there is like, man, we are constantly being shaped. We're being influenced primarily by the stories that we're hearing, the stories that we're seeing on social media, the stories you're seeing on the news, those are forming us. We're being influenced and formed by the communities that we hang out in, the people, the friendships, the relationships, the people you work with. And then we're also just being formed by the practices that we have. Like you have habits, you have things that you do. Before you get in bed at night, you grab your toothbrush and and mostly like you, you don't even know why. You just do it out of habit. All of those things make up our environment and all of those things are forming us. And so as we go through this series, we're asking the question, how might we get into each one of those spaces so that we are, we are conforming our minds, that we're making these patterns, these habits in the way that we're living our life so that we might stir up our affections for Jesus and put to death the affections that we have for this world, the desires we have for this world. And so like, I, I wrote this message and then I, I was telling Caden on the way here, I was just like, like why did I just, I was like, can't just leave it there. Because then it feels like this whole message was just a setup to like talk about something next week, but it's just like something, I hate that. You know what I mean? I'm like, no, what's the take home for today? The take home for today is that, um, man, like just maybe the thought that you could plant in your brain right now of like, what would it look like if we did these things really well? What would it look like if we just really pursued spiritual formation and we did it really well? Remember I said a couple weeks ago, the tendency when we start to really think about spiritual formation is to isolate ourselves from the world. And we think, man, well, the church, we, got, we just got to get really holy. Can't be around those sinful people. Can't do these sinful things. Got to just really like, you know, we just got to really work on me right now. And yet when Jesus is being confronted, he's, hey, uh, teacher, there's like 600 plus laws in the Old Testament. Which one of these is the most important? He says that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so what we're after is, is not just to do something so that we might be so formed. It's just what Kent talked about last week. We want to align our lives so that the spirit of God might fill us so that he might get in us and rearrange things and transform things and, and breathe new life into us so that we can then demonstrate it to the world. The world is so desperate for spiritual things right now. And I don't even, they don't know it. People don't know it out there, but like they're so hungry for someone to come in and save them from the situation that we're all in. And, and the church has the answer. Like politics, economics, like it's all, it's all good. It's all fine, but none of it's transforming the heart. So you can legislate all you want to. You can print all the stimulus checks you want to. But if the church doesn't show up with the good news of Jesus Christ, hearts are never going to be changed. And the invitation that we have right now is... is um, you know, I was thinking, Caden, Caden said this a few weeks back about worship. One of the cool things about worship right now is that we get to worship in the midst of pain, right? And that won't be with us for forever. Praise God. There will be a day coming where there is no more pain, no more suffering, no more broken moments, and that we're going to worship God in those spaces for eternity. So right now what we have to worship in though is we get the gift of worshiping in the midst of pain. We also have the gift of asking God in worship for a greater revelation of who he is. We won't need that for eternity. He's going to show us his glory and it's going to be awesome. When it comes to witnessing to people, now is the only moment in eternity that we're going to have to witness to lost people. 
Because listen, John 3.16 is beautiful of a verse as it is, and it is absolutely beautiful. And it's the invitation that's before everyone today is that you can follow after Jesus and he will usher you into eternal life. But it's not, he's not creating a paradigm of eternal life and then, or everlasting life and then just like average life. It's people who are walking in the kingdom and people who are perishing. There's no in between. And so what the church needs right now is not just some like hyper relevant, uh, culturally, you know, hip, cool, funny people. Like the church needs people who are spiritually formed, who, who are desperate, hungry for the spirit of God to get in them, to form them into a certain kind of person so that we might influence the world with a certain kind of fruit that is distinct. Where people see us and they're like, wow, you are just, what's up with you? Like, you're just so full of life all the time. You're just like, oh, I'm just walking in the Zoe life of God. Thank you. Wow, you're just like so kind. What's going on? Well, listen, I'm not naturally this kind, but that is just the kindness of God that's gotten into me and he's been so kind to me. And so I just can't help but be kind to the people who are around me. Man, you are so, like, you're just so patient. How are you patient right now? Like, everything's on fire. How are you so patient? Just like, man, if you only knew how patient God's been with me. This is our call. And this is our opportunity. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to look to be formed, to be like Jesus. But then we're also going to ask ourselves, what are the things that Jesus did to impact the world that he's living in? And so I would just love to invite you right now. Um, would you commit yourself to this series, the rest of this series? Like if you're, if you're in, if you're interested, if you want to come with us, if you don't want to come with us, man, this is just a generous exit lane because this is where we're going. And, and I, want to, I want to go somewhere. I want to reach our city. Amen? Like there are people out there that are perishing and I want to reach them. And so this is where we're going so that we might reach the culture. Not so that the culture gets in here and we become so culturally relevant that then people will want to come. We'll never make it that way and we'll never change hearts that way. We're going to be formed to be like Christ so that people see Christ when they see us. Would you guys stand? I'm going to pray. Well, Jesus, I think the first thing I'm compelled to pray for, God, is for anyone who's maybe just caught in this endless cycle of trying to please you. And God, would you just interrupt that today? And would the peace of God overwhelm them? Would they just understand their identity that's in you, that you love them, that you gave your life up for them? And would they just have a rest in that, that this is not a, this is not now an endeavor of shoulds and have tos, but God, it's a, it's a life now of opportunity and get to abide with you. And God, I, anybody who's not following you, maybe there's people in here who aren't walking with you today. God, would you just lovingly show them that if they want to find their life, they're going to have to lose it first. They're going to have to just lay that down and follow wholeheartedly after you. And Jesus, for all of us, as we just embark now kind of on this journey together to take next steps in our relationship with you, would you, would you meet us there? Would you meet us there? Would you pull us along? Would you entice us and, and, and just give us this Holy Spirit-led draw to see all the things that we get to do in your name? Jesus, we love you. We're thankful for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.